I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, December 21st, 2019, and this is episode 46 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is the new Netflix show, Soundtrack, which stars my brother, Paul James. It came out this Wednesday. Um, as of today, I've watched the first two episodes, and I really like it. I know that I'm biased, but I don't love everything that I've seen him in, so it still has to hit, you know, even if he's in it. And it, it's hard watching, you know, a family member on on television um, or in a movie or, or whatever, like, because I see my brother, and I'm supposed to see the character, and I'm trying to see the character and trying to figure out if he's acting well or not. I ha- I really can't do that. Like, it's Paul. I see Paul. But um, I'm s- but in this role, actually, I'm seeing the character a lot more than I usually do. Anyway, the show soundtrack is, um, it's a musical, sort of. There's, it's a lip sync musical. And um, it's kind of the pitch was like, what if... Paul Thomas Anderson made This Is Us. So it's sort of like a drama about people's lives and their hopes and dreams and family and ultimately love. And then they break into song, but it's it's like uh, the soundtrack of their life. So when an, a big emotional event happens, they will be a big song and dance number, or sometimes it's a small one, like an internal one. Sometimes it's more dream sequency. Sometimes it's, I mean, they just do, they're doing all kinds of things. And so when I first heard the concept I was like, is this going to work? It could be really cool or really strange. And then back in April, when I was in Chicago for a conference and I visited him on the set, and um, the showrunner showed me a clip of like one of the edited dance numbers from a future episode, and one that I haven't seen yet as of now. But I was like, oh, that's actually really cool. And I could see how it might work. It's either it'll either work for you or it won't. Like I've kind of gone on Twitter and seen people's reactions and some people are loving it and some people are very confused and they're like so much lip syncing. There's probably like three or four songs per episode. Um but I'm one of the people that it's actually working for and I'm I'm invested in the story and I care about these characters. I'm glad that uh you know he's on a show that I I really enjoy. He was on a show before uh, for several years called Greek that was on the ABC family channel. And that was um, pretty popular with a certain segment of like millennial women, I think primarily, I'm sure there's other people who liked that show also. And that's the show. That's probably his biggest um, show that he gets recognized from. And I, I did not watch Greek. Like I watched the first couple episodes and I was really excited for him to be in it. And I told people about it, but it was not for me. Other shows he's been in, um, like episodes of things or the path on Hulu um, I really enjoyed the first season of that, but he had a much smaller role. So this is actually the first thing where he has had a big role. He's he's in every episode. And um, yeah, so I'm really proud of him and I'm really excited and I really like the show. One other thing, my brother is my first reader and he's a really valuable critique partner. And so I have been making him read my sex scenes for years. And so I guess it's fair play that I have to now watch him in sex scenes. It's very uncomfortable. It's slightly different, like him reading something that I've written and me actually having to look at him on screen. But uh, he says he skims the sex scenes and I will have to skim the love scenes because gross. 
So my writing update, um, I turned in the first pass pages, which are the final proof for Cry of Metal and Bone, which is book three of Earthsing and Chronicles. Um, for the first book, they actually sent me the entire printed out, the pages, you know, like 400 whatever pages. Um, but ever since then, they send me the, the file. They send it to me digitally, and I actually print it out. I guess I don't have to, but I like to always proof as if I'm reading the book. So a few years ago, I bought this $80 laser printer on Amazon, and I buy pre three-hole punched paper, which was a pro tip from Denny S. Bryce, because beforehand, I, I mean, I had been just punching holes in the paper and, and hating my life. Um, but yeah, <laughs> pre-hole punched paper is the truth. It makes a writer's life so much easier. And um, yeah, I put it in a three-ring binder, and I spent a week proofing it, reading it very carefully. I did have to make a couple of changes because I had just finished the second novella, which leads directly into this book. Um, there were some things that I I wrote when I you know originally wrote Cry of Metal and Bone that when I delved into this novella, I was like, oh, I've changed some things. And those things are mentioned in this book. And so it, it was just a few lines that I had to rework um, based on that. But And then other little little things that I caught. Now, I don't know why they call them the first pass pages. It should be the last pass pages because it's the last time I see it before it goes to the printer. But that's what St. Martin's calls it. I feel like other publishing companies probably call it slightly different things. So I print it out. I make the corrections. I put little sticky flags on each page that gets a correction. So then at the end, I just pull those pages out and scan them and send them to my editor's assistant. So that was all done on Friday. The last read through, I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's good because I've had, you know, a few weeks since the copy edit, um, to get away from it. I always dread it because it's like, I have to read this book again. And by this time, who knows how many times I've read it, you know, but it is nice to have the space and to look at it typeset and to look at it in, you know, very close to book form and, um, and feel good about it, you know. It probably will be the last time I ever read the book uh, because, I don't know, I you know, I don't like reading them once they're on the shelves and, you know, you see if I do pick up any errors or things that I don't like. So yeah, this is the last time I will probably read it very carefully because as I'm working on book four, I won't need to read these again unless in sometime in the future I come back to the series, but... Who knows? But I mean, it's also good timing that I carefully went through book three as I'm working on book four. So all of that, you know, just feeds into it. And I I can hopefully remember some of the details that I need to not, you know, for continuity's sake during the during the, this book. Also, since I turned in the second novella, Hush of Storm and Sorrow, last week, I'm again thinking about um, like release dates since it's with the editor now and I'll get it back in a few weeks. Uh, thinking about release dates and marketing. And as soon as I start thinking about that, I want to go hide. So I might push that back a little bit more. Um, in my mastermind this week, I was my spotlight, which is our version of the hot seat, um, which is kind of like how masterminds work. You, everybody comes every week with something to discuss if they have something. So mine was the novella. And because of the, the things getting pushed back and scheduling, trying to figure out my plan for 2020 and the beginning of 2021 in terms of 
the dates for what I'm publishing, the self-published stuff in the series, working around the my publisher's dates, and um, just some things that I are going to have to move around because of the fact that books three and four, um, the dates were pushed back. So still trying to figure that stuff out. Um, but I've just been dealing with a lot of mental exhaustion from, you know, the push last week and this week um, from the intensity of work stuff. And it was like Friday at four, some 4.30. And one of my clients had wanted to have a call. And I was like, I got on the call and I was like, listen, I am not here right now. Like I will write down the things you say and I will think about them on Monday. But I'm just warning you that I mentally just, I could feel the exhaustion. I almost felt like I was starting to have a panic attack and it was just, just pure, that mental exhaustion, that feeling that I can't think about another thing today because I had, I'd spent two hours finishing the past pages, reading very, very carefully. And then I had, I mean, I honestly don't remember and it was yesterday, but I know I did some work. I have to look at my timesheets and stuff. And even by the time, you know, I had the call with my mastermind group at like 3.30, I, I was very low energy. We were all kind of low energy. And then to talk to a client at 4.30, I was just like, I don't know what I have left to give you, honestly. So then I took a nap and then we went to see Star Wars, which uh, I am not going to spoil or anything. I enjoyed that last uh, the rise of skywalker like one of my friends said i liked it i didn't love it a lot of things going on with that movie but it uh it ended things and now it's over (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say about that so in talking about like mental exhaustion um it kind of leads into self-care which is a very millennial thing to say like i find some of the the and I'm not a millennial, I'm a Gen Xer, but um, I find some of the millennial language a little off-putting. But I mean, it's easy to say, and we know what we're talking about, you know? Like things like, I don't know if I said this before, but I was listening to an interview with um, Audie Cornish, who is an NPR um, reporter. And she was being interviewed by a millennial and someone who I think is my age, but is very... In, like ensconced in millennial culture. Anyway, so they were talking about microaggressions. And Artie Cornish is like, you know, I am such and such an age and we don't think of them as microaggressions. We think of them as Tuesday. You know, like, this is a tangent. I'm sorry. I was talking about self-care. So I saw a tweet by uh, author Rena Barron who had a big debut with, um, what was her book called? Kingdom of Souls. And, uh, which I still haven't read, but it's definitely on my list. Um, and she has another, you know, she's one of those black women authors who has several deals at the same time and is kind of what I feel like trying to grab the industry by the horns, trying to take advantage of the opportunities when they're here. Um, and I've talked about that before. And, you know, she has this tweet thread about how she became very ill, like working super hard, you know, uh, having these opportunities come her way and taking advantage of them. She says, I got book deals, but I had to give up all of my personal time to write and maintain my day job. She didn't work out anymore. She wasn't eating well. She was gaining weight. She became sedentary. And then she got sick. And um, it's, you know, she talks about being in intense pain and being in treatment, but how 
that push, that neglect that she, that she, um, that she put herself through had a real toll and caused real damage to her body. And you hear this over and over again. Like I've seen, you know, authors with hospital selfies, like they've just put themselves in the hospital for this. I mean, people are much more open and talking about things on Twitter, which I think is great and in other places too, but I see it on Twitter. Um, and I think, I think it's necessary because I think you have to beat that drum. Like, yes, take the opportunities where they're given. Um, you can't assume that you'll get another opportunity. You know, you have to work very hard. It's difficult and the balance is difficult. And so anyway, just another call, like another reminder about taking care of yourself. So this week I've done a lot better with my exercise. I did something just about every day this week so far. Um, I took Friday, I was going to climb, but the day got really busy and I feel like I felt like I should rest my wrists anyway. But Monday through Thursday, I worked out in some capacity and I'm going to work out this weekend also. I do feel a lot better. Um, it's like, <laughs> it's crazy. Exercise actually does make you feel better. Imagine that. For me, scheduling has also been super important. So I have my planner. I love my planner. I don't always use my planner, but when I do, things go much better. And so I actually planned, I put, um, like I blocked off time in my schedule every day of when I was going to exercise. It works much better when you schedule it with yourself. You make it, it's like a meeting. It's like anything else. I scheduled writing time. I scheduled exercising time. And the more, the more things that I schedule and make write down, like this is the block where I'm going to do this. And I, I'm not going to do other things. The more I do them. And I know that's how it works for me. And it's just a matter of taking the time every week to plan out my week and taking the time every day to plan out the next day. Uh, the only day I didn't do that was Thursday and Thursday went <laughs> crazy and I forgot some stuff. And then that made Friday a little crazy. So um, I just am kind of just proving to myself again that this works for me and this um, is super helpful. Also, I finally sent my newsletter this week. I timed the process from beginning to end. It took an hour and 16 minutes. And I could have, you know, obviously have taken that hour several weeks ago when I was supposed to send the newsletter, but it's just so easy to procrastinate. And it actually, it was in my schedule, it was on my list of things to do, but I hadn't blocked off time for it, which is like, note for next time. But I sent it, it's out. And I feel like I crossed it off the list. That felt great. Um, I don't know why. I have an aversion sometimes to sending the newsletter. It's part, po possibly all wrapped up in the aversion to marketing that I'm going through right now. Like any kind of marketing right now is just, oh, I do not want to think about it. But I have to, and I know that I have to. And I will, maybe just after Christmas. I'll schedule some time to think about marketing after Christmas. I also saw a tweet from about Andre 3000 from Outcast and why he's not making music anymore. And sometimes you sit around and you think about, oh, where'd so-and-so go? Where'd so-and-so go? And there's different reasons why, why you haven't heard from people. Um, but sadly, he was saying that he doesn't have any ideas. He said his confidence isn't there, the motivation isn't there. 
And that, you know, that's, it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, it kind of echoes some of the themes of my brother's show because in that show, all the main characters are artists. One is a dancer, Paul is a musician and a songwriter. Another girl is an artist, she draws. And in the first episode, you know, a couple episodes that I've watched, they're all really struggling with art versus life and how to live and eat and have a roof over your head and do your art. And when you give, when do you give it up? When do you go back to it? And it just kind of echoes that challenge that, that people have. And it is very real. And I feel, you know, I feel a lot of empathy for him, for Andre 3000, <laughs> going back to him. Cause he's such a, you know, a force in music and to think that he doesn't have the ideas aren't flowing. And um, he also mentioned in the clip that maybe his history was a reason. And I think he was talking about this, the incredible success that can be stultifying for people, you know? Um, so that does sound like a true writer's block. And, you know, I don't know his life. I don't know if I can say it's just resistance or writer's block and we can get into that whole debate, but um, whatever it is, it's preventing from him from doing something that he wants to do, that he wants to create, but it's not coming in the way that it maybe it used to. And that's a scary thought, you know, to have that happen. Um, I think about all the things that I want to write, all the things that I have in progress that I want to finish, you know, the new idea beating at me. And I really hope that, uh, that I don't encounter a time when the ideas stop coming and that I sit down and there's just, it's dry. You know, I heard someone say, I want to leave this world empty, you know, and that, that feels like the way to go, you know, leave empty, do everything, leave it all on the table. But what if you empty yourself before you leave? What do you do then? I don't know. It's kind of a downer. But I wish Andre 3000 the best. And, and I do believe that if people keep trying, it will come back. I don't think – the people who do something and then disappear forever, like Harper Lee or somebody, um, I wonder if something else is going on there. Or maybe there's just a trunk full of material that they were creating the whole time that they just didn't want to make public. You know, you don't have to publish everything you write. You probably shouldn't. Oh, I want to give a shout out to this power nap video. So yeah, yesterday I was done. I We were going to see Star Wars later. I needed a nap. So I, um, I had been doing these sleep meditations at night, but it was like five o'clock, six o'clock in the evening, and I didn't want to do a full on sleep meditation. So I just went on YouTube and I looked up nap meditation and something came up and I did this one hour nap meditation. And it, I was a little, you know, dubious because for me, naps are, can be difficult. I take a long time to get to sleep. And by that time, you know, if I set a timer for like 20 or 30 minutes, it, it takes that long for me to get to sleep a lot of times. And so I didn't have the nap. So I had a time for an hour nap and, um, I put the meditation on and I was listening to the guy's voice. And at a certain point he stops and it's just like music. Um, I have my headphones in. But whatever was going on, like I would come in and out, like I would come to consciousness and like hear the music and then I guess go back under again. 
but I woke up after an hour and I felt really refreshed. And they've got these like chimes that, that signal when it's time for you to get up. And a lot of times after a nap, I don't feel refreshed. I feel like I want to sleep some more. And my 20 minute nap turns into a two hour nap, uh, which doesn't feel like the best idea. So I will link to this in the show notes if you were interested in a guided nap meditation to help you feel refreshed. So uh, it's what, four days until Christmas and I have not finished my shopping, but I have started, which is impressive because often I do not start until whatever the last one day shipping day, you know, like um, deadlines are is often how I go about Christmas shopping. I don't like it. It's stressful, you know, like the holidays can be very stressful. I did not decorate this year. I didn't put up the tree partially because of kitten, Stokely. Um, the last time I had a real tree was the first year we got Sterling. And Sterling believes that Christmas trees are toilets. <laughs> so that didn't work out so well. So even though I would prefer a real tree, uh, we've gotten fake trees since then. And he does not pee on the fake trees. He will sometimes still pee on the tree skirt, but that is a little bit not, he didn't really do that that much. Eh, no, actually he does. So anyway, I was not feeling super in the Christmas spirit. Uh, my husband is a Grinch. He does not care about Christmas. And so the only person I would decorate for is myself. And I wasn't up to it. Um, and partially because I wasn't, you know, I feel like the kitten is very overstimulated. You add a Christmas tree with all the decorations and he would totally lose his mind. So I'll wait until he's a little older next year and see if I feel like it. Of course, we're hosting Christmas dinner, so I feel a little obligated to do something. So we have a tiny fake tree. I might just, it's like a pre-lit, tiny, like, I don't know, three foot, two foot maybe, um, that I might pull out and stick somewhere. And it will be very sad. Uh, my mother is like the queen of Christmas. She has three Christmas trees. She has all of the decorations. She buys out the whole store, like most of her storage area is Christmas decorations. Every year she has a wrapping paper scheme. So this year the wrapping paper must be red and black and gold. If you come to Christmas with a store wrapped gift, your gift gets put behind the tree or in another room. It cannot be displayed on her tree because of the pictures. She wants all her wrapping paper to match. So I did go over to her house last week and pick up some approved wrapping paper because uh, I don't know where she buys this wrapping paper. Like I go to Target, I can't find black and red and gold with no other colors in it. You know, she loves Christmas because her father's birthday was Christmas. And I think it was a big deal in her house. And it was a big deal of growing up because she loves Christmas. And uh, that gene did not get passed on to me. <laughs> so I make do. I I do what I can. Some years I'm into it. Some years I'm not. This year, just haven't been into it. But I still have to finish the gifts and um, I will enjoy the time with the family and, you know, all of our Christmas traditions, the Christmas cookies that we make on Christmas Eve. And we usually go to a movie on Christmas Day. I don't know that we'll do that this year because my cousin is actually flying in that evening. I don't dislike Christmas. I just, I think I don't like the added work of all of the decorating. It just feels like labor to me. <laughs> At least this year it does. Next year... Maybe it will feel different. So if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. And um, I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. 
Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. A rating and review would really help to support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more bookish romance and romance-adjacent podcasts, check out frolic.media slash podcasts.